Welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist, a podcast where we meet the people of Canterbury Baptist Church in Melbourne, Australia, hear their stories and explore ideas relevant to our church and community. My name is Stephen and for today's episode, let's meet Daryl. Hello Daryl, welcome to the People of Canterbury Baptist. Good morning Stephen, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, jumping on board and thank you for being willing just to uh, come and join us and to tell us your life story. Now I'm going to start with, with my famous question, which is where were you born? Uh, Mount Morgan in Mount- central Queensland. Uh, is, so is that, is, is that more of a desert area or a tabletop area? Yeah. How would you describe that area? Uh, uh, some people might think it's a cultural desert, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, no, no, it's in the, um, you know, the back of the, uh, what do you call it, the Great Dividing Range, so just south of Rockhampton in central Queensland. And uh, what were your parents doing there? Uh, so just to the south of Mount Morgan um, is the Calide Valley. So it's one of the, you know, it's like an agricultural uh, uh, basin. And uh, there were farmers there, um, all sorts of stuff from dairy through to, you know, wheat and beans and sorghum, you know, typical broadacre farming in the end. So so mixed farming, just, just a whole bunch of stuff together on the one property? Uh, that's right, but over many decades. Okay. So, yeah, as as markets changed, that so did their business model. So, uh, a, a large property is it? Is it like a, 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 would would we describe it like being a station or something particularly? Big? No, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, no. So, uh, seven hundred and fifty acres. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, uh, probably um, the minimum efficient scale for a single farmer. Yeah. And so, for you, for you growing up on a farm. What are some of your earliest childhood memories of that experience? Oh, uh, playing in the dirt, I guess. Um, the um, but we had dairy cows um, when we were younger. Um, yeah, yeah. So they're probably uh, my earliest uh, memories. Yeah. Did you have any brothers or sisters? Uh, one elder brother, so not, not a large family. Yeah. At- and did you go? Did, did did you two boys get up to to mischief on the farm? Oh, it depends if uh, who you ask. <laughs> Occasionally, uh, the um, yeah. So our neighbours were probably uh, you know like in the old days a mile away. Um, and my I'd say my closest friends were like five miles away, so quite a way away. Um, and uh, so you tended to be self sufficient in your entertainment. Yeah. So yeah, generally, um, you know, we had, you know, what do you call that? A seasonal lagoon that would flood quite often, and and generally when that was flooding, um, you go down and play in the water. Uh, but otherwise, it, I, my memories it was was uh, the earliest memories which you asked about is uh, like drought, severe severe drought. Oh. It seemed to be forever in drought. Yeah. Um. Had your parents had your parents been lifelong farmers, or was it or was this something you picked up more recently, or is it a generational thing, even going back to your grandparents and great grandparents? Oh uh, yeah, so generational on my mother's side of the family, and they're from around Toowoomba, the Darling Downs. Uh, but it was a lifelong thing for my father. But um, uh, his his parents um, came out of Toowoomba and and were had a more conventional lifestyle. Um, how did you get to school? As a, uh, in bus. primary school, yeah. Bus. Yeah, so these are – went to a little primary school called Wowen, which is W-O-W-A-N, so I don't have a wisp. So <laughs> it's um, – yeah, so Wowen, you know, 
probably five or six teachers, I guess. Um, I don't remember how many students, maybe 60 students. Um, yeah, so I was fortunate to go to one school for my whole seven years for, you know, uh, for primary school. Um, certainly no kindergarten in my day. And then, um, and then high school, we went to Mount Morgan, which is uh, about 60 kilometres to the north, but typically because of the bus route, it was about an hour each way in the morning and the afternoon to get home. So. Did, did, did you enjoy school? Oh, initially that was uh, catastrophic for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not, not a, I'm a, no, I, I must say the first few years of school were terrifying. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why, but they were. Um, so, and so as a, as, a, as a prep or grade one, like very, very early primary school, you found school to be overwhelming and terrifying? Yes. Yeah, I found a teacher in Jim Jim and I. <laughs> so, so I don't know why. They're probably very nice people, but uh, – it, uh, yeah, no, I'm not. Wasn't used to that that uh, interaction. So. Do you have do, do you have do you have strong memories of, of you being scared as a little kid at school? Like, is it it almost sounds I just talk, just talking to you that that's a, that it's a it's a memory that's quite clear in your brain. Yes, yes. So small things like in the, in those days, you never used to go to office works and buy your book. The teacher would actually make you the book out of um, a certain type of paper, uh, and it had big thick lines. You know, like. Uh, big gap on the line, so you do your writing. So I have a distinct memory of uh, having to get my mother to phone the teacher to give me a new book. The teacher was at the dispenser of the new book, so I was terrified of asking the teacher for a book. <laughs> so after the first few years, though, did, did, you, did you start to settle into your schooling life? Did you begin to enjoy it more? Yes, yeah, so I think about grade four or five, uh, if that might be. Yeah, slow starter, Stephen. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in the first few years, the school was being renovated, so we went to the RSL hall, and so the entire school, all seven grades, were uh, were just uh, had the stools all lined up in the in the one big RSL hall. So, wow. yeah, I really um, didn't feel that was school at all. It's probably a bit like someone um, going to uni now and just sitting in line. Mm. Okay, it doesn't. Well, the reason going to uni is you meet new people and, and enjoy that, but. It, uh, going to the RSL hall didn't seem like school, so that was I reckon grade two to grade three or something. But, um, so when when we eventually got back to the school um, and I had friendships, that was that was fine. So. Was school, particularly in your your later primary primary years and even into your high school years, was school a bit of a break from the isolation of of, of living on a farm? Uh, no, not necessarily. I uh, I um. Handle. Um, I, I would view myself as self-sufficient, mm. um, and and um, and the farm does that. So I could entertain myself and um, and in various means as as a farm kid does. Yeah, so no. So I don't, didn't see school as a social avenue. I, it was um, it was uh, like a mandated activity. <laughs> so <laughs> it and uh, you don't, don't question it. As you're as you're in high school, did you begin to to get a sense of direction with the particular s- subjects that you like and, and particular, I guess, ambitions that began to grow in you in in, in a direction that, that you could see life taking you? I um, have this distinct me- memory. So, uh, in grade eleven, like the first week of grade eleven, so um, so that's your senior years um, that you, that are set up for you. Um, for later in life, 
But I have this distinct memory is that um, the careers guidance officer came down from Rockhampton to Mount Morgan High School and asked, you know, it might have been 20 kids in the, in the room, who's selected their university course? And I can, well, it was just like university, like what is that? <laughs> okay. It's just like what? It's just like it's a completely dumbfounding question. Anyway, I just um, yeah. So that's the group of people I mix with. Um, most um, a lot of kids had left at the end of grade ten when they turned fifteen. I think it was the school uh, the age you could leave and, and uh, go to work. Um, and there's a few survivors that we went on to grade eleven and grade twelve. Of of which you were one. So by the, so so when this career advisor came and you began to to you know to have the shocking thought of what there's even more education. Um, That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I understand that you did end up going to university. Is that is that correct? Yes, yeah, it is. And yeah, that's correct. Yeah. What did you end up studying in university? Well, um, this is a long story, Stephen. I don't know okay. how long no, this go. podcast <laughs> is going to be. <laughs> as long as it needs uh, to be, go for it. Yeah, no, I had a very good friend, uh, and he was the. Um, you know, uh, his father worked for the mines, Mount Morgan Mines. is like uh, one of those ancient Australian mining companies that started in 1800, like BHP, and um, and is um, it's a gold mine in its day. And it ran all for 100, pretty much 99 years or 100 years. Uh, it shut down in the early 80s. Uh, so, but because uh, I was kind of a farming family, we weren't part of that mining community. And um, but I had a very good friend there that had, her parents worked there, and uh, and in grade twelve they said to me, well, why don't you get a vacation job? <clears throat> and I didn't know how to do that, and I ended up getting two weeks uh, work with a, a a civil engineer that had studied mining uh, certificate, and and he said um, his advice was forget the girls, forget the money, just go to. You know, I'm pretty sure Queensland University has a a mining engineering course, um, contact the Queensland Uni and just go straight to uni. And um, and so I came back and talked to a careers advisor, a different one this time, and they said, oh, no idea if Queensland Uni does mining engineering. Not a clue. I'll send them a fax. So, so they sent a fax and a month later the careers advisor comes back and says, I've got good and bad news. And... I sent the facts to Queensland University. They came back and said, yes, we have a mining engineering course, but don't worry, Daryl, no one from the school has got the tertiary entrance score to, to, get, to get into Queensland University. Oh. <laughs> so, so that was uh, – that's, that's, uh, anyway, I ended up getting the tertiary entrance score that we needed to, to do mining. But, uh, again, I've never forgotten that conversation that <laughs> – so this is the old day. You know, nowadays you just have Google and you'd find that stuff. But it's pretty sad when the careers advisor couldn't actually tell you that Queensland <laughs> Uni ran a certain course. There was only a place in the state that did, and um, it, it um, you know, so the rest is history. So that, Brisbane's about 800 kilometres from Mount Morgan, so uh, it was a clean break for me. So must have, uh, which means, just reading between the lines, that that you must have been a fairly top uh, top student in your school if 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 no one else was getting the uh, the entrance scores high enough, but clearly you did. That's right. Well, I, that's what I, 
was one of those uh, coincidences in life, Stephen, that um, you look back on and and you sort of recognise that there, there may be um, more to life than what you think there is. Mm. Speaking of which, um, was church much of your uh, of your experience during your uh, your childhood? Yeah, so we, um, uh, um, my parents are a Baptist faith uh, from the, the Darling Downs, uh, Toowoomba area, uh, but there was no close Baptist churches, so they uh, tend to be a fair driveway. And the local church at Wowen uh, was a uniting church, so my, uh, we would have went to you know, church uh, pretty sure every week of the year. So. Um. And for you as a kid, was faith something interesting to you or was it more like just a ritual or an, or an event that you went to because your parents went to it? Uh, it's probably realistically uh, more ritualistic. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I guess as a child, you're, you're um, safe in the comfort of your parents and, uh, and, you know, I have a very safe and cherished upbringing. So, you feel like there's certain decisions you don't need to make because uh, you, your parents have made them for you, so to speak. So, and and that's the way it was for most of my faith. And when I got to you know got to senior, you did go to uh, you know interact with a few uh, church events, uh, church camps out of Rockhampton, and that's where oh, maybe I should just correct it. By the time I got to sort of high school age, I'm pretty sure I was the only kid in the church. Okay. Yeah. Might be a gross overstatement, but I'm pretty sure I was the only kid. So to, to interact with other kids, you had to go to Bill Wheeler or Rockhampton, and that and that's where you actually met Christians on fire, so to speak. Mm. You know, people who are living the faith, whereas uh, you know I'm living on a farm, so it's pretty pretty di- pretty different to that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but no, it's, it's certainly good. very, very different. It's good, but there's, there's also a sense of loyalty in that. I mean, I know, I know of, of of many people as they head into their teenage years and they get a bit more independence. They um, that sense of being being taken to church by their parents. They go, "Well, I'm old enough; I can make up my own mind. I'm, I'm not going to even, you know, even do that anymore." Whereas for you to to be willing to actually sit in a church by yourself as a teenager, there is there must have been a sense of of of, uh, of honouring your parents or at least respecting the tradition or some or, or some sort of connection there for you, um, so that you were sort of persevering being the only kid in the church. Um, absolutely. So I guess that manifests itself when I went to uni and it's a clean break, and and uh, you know, I just had that you know there's a voice in your head that says this is right and this is wrong. But it's very hard to differentiate whether or not that's that was my father, or whether or not that was my heavenly father. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I was definitely uh, yeah just aware of um, you know the, the Lord and the power of His mercy and grace. That's from many years of attending in church and listening to the Bible stories. It's not not a not a def- well, I don't perceive that to be a deficiency. Mm-hmm. But but it was a time of expression of freedom, and a number of coincidences then led for me to give my life to the Lord, which I had sort of done previously. Well, let's take let's uh, let's focus in on that moment if we can. Can you actually identify a moment in which in which we can say that faith faith sort of became yours? It became something personal and and meaningful to you. Yeah. So it, it all um, 
So I went to university and you know, 300 uh, mostly males were doing engineering at that time and um, a very male-dominated course. Um, I also stayed in a male uh, residential college, so uh, it was very blokey sort of culture. Um, but in the second year, uh, I remember a gentleman called Randall Gibbons you know, came and handed out uh, an invitation to a 10 Windsor Road Baptist Church in, in Brisbane. And coincidentally, I knew somebody from the engineering class, so one out of 300, like what's the chances of meeting that person? Uh, he lived next door at another re- uh, residential college. We've, we had become very good friends uh, over the university, uh, first year at university. And and um, yeah, it was a small coincidence, and I thought, oh, maybe I should think about doing something about this. And that was, um, you know, for me, the turning point was that O week at universities, you know, toga parties and and uh, you know outrageous behaviour, but and, and very exciting when you're a young young person. But I found it to be empty and um, and meaningless, which was like a huge shock. <laughs> I just thought that was what life was about, and and I missed it because I'd grown up in a in some sort of very quite rural backwater. Uh, but it wasn't empty, it, like it was empty as. And and when Randall knocked on the door just after I went with his invitation to attend Windsor Road and saying a oh, bus would pick you up and all this sort of stuff, and I, I knew some people there and I thought, well, that's it, I'll make a commitment. But I didn't give my life to Christ then. It took probably another couple of years, oh, maybe 18 months more of coincidences before I eventually decided to get baptised. So you've you've used the word coincidences a few times, both in the context of events prior to you going to university. So that's and uh, and now you speak of coincidences even after this this initial experience in you know, the eighteen months leading up there. Am I right to understand that when you say coincidences, what uh, as you look back at your own life, what you're seeing is evidence of the hand of God just calling you and guiding you, you know, deeper into relationship with Him? Is that what you you sort of mean when you use the word coincidence? That's right, yeah, but I, would, but I was just trying, you know, not trying to overstate. Yeah, no, that's good. My connection with the with uh, the big fella, but <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, yeah, and you know, second year uni, I think I got a, a vacation job in in Mount Isa, and in those days they put two two students to a room, and Mount Isa had hundreds of students. And just completely randomly, the Lord put me with a Christian. Mm. And it's just like, I haven't actually given my life to Christ at that stage. But but uh, what's the chances of that, Stephen? Mm. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Anyway, what, and, um, yeah, and his other other sort of connections, uh, even with uh, the modern-day Canterbury Church that sprung from that first vacation work in, in Mount Isa, of all places. So your connection to Canterbury Baptist comes comes through your experience in Mount Isa. Yes, yeah, in the early eighties. Um, you might have to actually just just connect those dots for us. What's the link between those two? Uh, the, 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 those two events. Oh, well, it's uh, Peter and Jane Geddes. Ah, yes. Okay, hmm. and so, so Jane's Jane's a Mount Isa uh, uh, from Mount Isa family and grew up there. So. Mm. And, and associated with the Mount Isa Baptist Church uh, in their time. And you met her while you're up in uh, in, in Mount Isa yourself. Oh yes, yes. So the, there's uh, we say the uh, the group of um, Christian students would go to the church there, and Jane and 
uh, her friends were basically the host for all these students. So yeah, it's a very busy time of the year. That's so. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's extraordinary. It's, um, it, it's amazing that there's a connection between Manizer and uh, and you attending Canterbury Baptist Church. Yeah, another one of those coincidences, Stephen. <laughs> Uh, Daryl, mate, it has been a, a pleasure chatting with you, but uh, but I still think there's a whole much, whole bunch more of your story I'd, I'd love to touch on. And so, if it's okay, let's uh, let's draw this conversation to a close. But how about we come back next time, and we can pick the story up from here and uh, and 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 bring your story up to the present day. Thanks, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to everyone who was tuned in to listen. This podcast is produced and presented by Stephen Field on behalf of Canterbury Baptist Church, Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email cbc at canterburybaptist.org. If you're a member or regular attender of this church, how about you get in touch with Daryl directly and thank him for his contribution today. The music is the song The First Step by Andrew Naylor from his album Two Stones. This album is available wherever you purchase or stream your music. Join us next time as we continue our chats with the people of Canterbury Baptist. Canterbury Baptist.